0: Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Well, we are part three of our series, Come Alive, which obviously has been our Resurrection Sunday series. We've been building up to this very point. And uh, I hope that this morning the message kind of hits you from a more, from maybe a less traditional point of view. It's been a long time since I've spent Easter Sunday in a different church than this one. Uh, And so I don't really know what's going on in in most other churches. But um, I presume we usually talk about Resurrection Sunday and Mary and the ladies going to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus and finding uh, that the stone was rolled away. He wasn't in there. They thought they bumped into the gardener. Turns out it was actually Jesus. Uh, Just an incredible and miraculous story, but I want to bypass that today. And and not that it's lacking in importance in any way, but I want to bypass it because the greatest resurrection that takes place post-Jesus resurrection is actually the resurrection of every human heart. And the title of today's message is Come Alive, Hearts. The whole purpose of the cross can be summed up in... A statement that would go something like this. The reason that Jesus came, yes, was for our sin, yes, was because we were separated from God, yes, to a a whole bunch of theological and doctrinally correct things. But the reality is Jesus came first and foremost, and in the end, ultimately for the resurrection of a human heart. That's what he came for. Because it was the spirit of mankind that died in the day they sinned. And we were born in sin, the Bible says. We're shaped in iniquity. We can't really help it. It's our nature that we're born with since the fall of man. And in all of that, somehow God has had this plan all along for redemption, for reunification, to make us right with him, to allow us to meet the standard because of what Jesus has done for us. And I I know that you get a healthy shot of that every Sunday here at church. But I really want you to consider this morning the message of all Scripture. What does it mean that Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost, other than he came to seek and save not only those who were lost, but those who were dead, who are spiritually gone? Uh, if we had a, an English word that would maybe closely, or most closely resemble the, the kind of the picture the Greek would paint about being alive, but dead because of sin it would probably be the word zombie now let me be clear theologically doctrinally, i'm not saying that there is a greek word for zombie in the bible not saying that Uh, but if we had to if we had to kind of pick a word that would maybe reflect what it looks like what what kind of a creature it is that we are before this miraculous metamorphosis that takes place because of the cross it would have to be the zombie and so jesus came To resurrect hearts. To take that which was dead and make it alive. To create something new out of something that was old and full of decay. That's what's been happening for the last couple thousand years in humanity. Jesus has been reviving hearts in every nation of the earth. In every generation that is in the earth. He's done the same thing again and again. He's done this for you and for me. And he's done this for our children in the future. So I want to share with you this morning from the book of Luke. And it's a story that if you've been in this church a long time, you have heard me share over and over again. Because I actually love the story of the two men who were traveling on the road to Emmaus on that Sunday morning that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you want to look with me on the screen or if you have your Bible with, please turn to Luke 24. And behold, two of them were going that very day, Sunday, ...to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with one another about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? They definitely did not recognize Jesus. And Jesus said to them, What things? Now, for those of you who perceive yourselves to be absolute biblical literalists, here's where you have problems. God uses wordplay like this all the time with us. Okay? He, he does. Jesus, of course, knew what had happened. He was there first person, first hand. So he asked them, what things have happened? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping, someone say hoping, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all these things, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets he explained to them things concerning himself in all the scripture and they approached a village where they were going and he acted Jesus acted as though he were going further but they urged him saying stay with us for it is getting toward evening and now the day is nearly over So he went in with them. He took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. I love that line. Did our hearts not burn within us as we walked with him upon the road? Have you ever been in a situation like this where you didn't know something great was happening to you, but then when you had a minute to think about it after the fact, you, you kind of you shift back in your memory and you realize how amazing of a moment it was? My wedding day was one of those moments. And those of you who have been married, you understand how, how that kind of works. It's, the whole day is a blur. Your face hurts from smiling. And it's not really until it gets quiet and you're alone and some, some things have settled down that you begin to look back and realize how amazing the moment was. That's what happened to Cleopas and his traveling friend. They realized that it was Jesus. Jesus. <coughs> And then they recognized what had been happening in their heart all along. Now for someone here this morning, there's real truth there for you. Because you have struggled at different times to put together why it is in your walk, why it is in your spiritual life, whatever it might look like, why you look back on things and realize, man, that was a moment I had. I wish I could understand it. These gentlemen had the benefit, I suppose, of having some idea who Jesus actually was. Presumably they had been around his teaching. Maybe they had been around his disciples. After all, they did know where to go in Jerusalem to find those disciples who were for all intents and purposes in hiding. That burning, that drawing, that realization that they had just been with the risen Jesus consumed them. It overwhelmed them. It, it, it gave them a sense of urgency because they hurried back in the end to go and find the disciples and the women who were with them. But I don't want something to be lost on you again. And I think sometimes we get very lost on this. In a world that is actually quite spiritually aware, we fixate on the things that caused our heart to burn or the thing that we realized made our hearts burn, but we never really truly understand how we get to the place of revelation. But right here in the book of Luke, it actually tells us how they got to that place of recognition. They knew that their hearts were burning within them. But when was it revealed to them? When did they realize who it was that they were sitting with? Well, it says right here. They realized it was him when he broke the bread. They realized it was Jesus. And all of a sudden, in the breaking of bread with Jesus, in sitting down and having this meal, this impromptu, unexpected, surprise lunch date with Jesus, it all made sense in an instant. They realized it was only Jesus who could have talked to them about the law and the prophets and explained how this scarlet thread of the gospel was woven through all of the Old Testament and would continue on through the New Testament in their lives and in the lives of those who would come after them. They recognize this not because they went to Bible college. They recognize this not because they studied something differently. They recognize this not because they spent time in a great worship service, but because Jesus broke bread with them. And my friends, I need you to understand something today, that there will be nothing ever in your life that could possibly replace fellowship with Jesus. Man, if you want to know Jesus, you got to sit down and you got to eat something with him. You got to give yourself some time to recline at the table, to digest, to be in his presence, to be with his people, to witness the testimony of others and what they're doing. And so often we think we got to run to these these amazing places, these wild places. We got to chase the glory of God down. We got to chase truth. When truth personified, stands among us, even today. Some of the greatest experiences of your life are going to happen over food. Do you realize that? It's true. From the time you were born until the time you die, some of the greatest moments of your life are going to happen over food. Now, that's not a justification to you know, eat 6,000 hot wings and be sick all night. That would be gross. But just think about it with me for a second. I mean, none of you remember your first meal, but I assure you, you were hungry and it was good for you. Food's important to us. And I hope that we all have the privilege of still remembering our last meal. I do. I hope that... I go soundly to sleep, not screaming with all the other passengers in my car. That's an old, that's a horrible joke. It's a terrible joke. I'm sorry. You know why I'm wearing skinny jeans today, speaking of jokes? Because it's Resurrection Sunday. Yeah, my wife doesn't get it. I swore I would never wear skinny jeans again. But I came to the place today where I'm like, ah, it's the only black pair of jeans I own. So Resurrection Power has attempted to bring forty something year old men in skinny jeans back once again. It's also a horrible joke, I know. <laughs> Beyond horrible. The most important things you're going to experience in life not only happen over and because of food, but actually because of fellowship. And what happens when you sit down? And uh, we live in a world where, where the family is falling apart for one, this is one of the main reasons, that people don't sit down together. But you see, in a culture, and by the way, we were all made human, humanity was designed by God to move at the speed of walking three miles an hour, three and a half if you're long legged. That's the speed we're made to go at. And we run around at 100 miles an hour. Wondering why we're burned out. Wondering why we're oppressed. Wondering why we're struggling in every part of our life. And it's because we've lost touch with, with what it means to recline at a table with someone. And let it sink in. Let it digest. I'm talking more than just about food. See, when they reclined with Jesus at the table, they realized who he was. And I want to tell you this morning, church, that if you want to know who Jesus is, maybe you need to just start reclining at his table. Maybe, maybe, Maybe you need to not rush away from the moment with him. Maybe you need to have the audacity. When Jesus says, I'm going to go on a little farther, you have the audacity to say, no, it's getting late. You should come home with me. Come on, real talk, when's the last time any of you invited Jesus to come into your home, to come into your moment, to come into your marriage, to come into your physical situation? Because I think we kind of like in society to serve a Jesus who we always can just presume is moving on down the road, he's going past us, and hey, now no sweat, we don't have to worry about it anymore, Jesus is passing by. I think there's followers of Jesus who live their life that way. And what a tragedy it is. Because if you'll notice in the text this morning, it would appear Jesus had no intention of walking beyond them. Well, doesn't that technically make Jesus a liar? No, it doesn't make Jesus a liar. It makes him a good father. Because how many times have I pretended with my children that I was going to do something that I knew darn well I wasn't going to do because I knew it would bring them great joy? Do you understand the value, church, this morning of these two men who said, Jesus, it's getting late. Come to our place. Well, they didn't say Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus still. The act of hospitality. It's getting late. Come in. You know, in Scripture, I can't think of a place where it was recorded where someone invited Jesus ever to come in that he didn't oblige that. Sure, he sure shouldn't have gone into the home of Zacchaeus. <laughs> that really pissed off the religious people. And the word pissed off sometimes frustrates religious people today. I'm sorry if that offended you. I just, it just slipped out of my carnal mouth, I suppose. <laughs> but if you are pissed off by that... <laughs> Let me just there's worse things that I have said from this, from this position. Um, guys, Jesus has never, has never refused an opportunity to go into someone's home. Revelation, Revelation says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will dine together. This idea of Jesus not wanting to pass your home by, but wanting to come in and kick back at the table to recline with you, to wine you, to dine you, to spend time together in his presence so that you can realize who he is, is the fullness of what he came to do. And this whole world seems to want to believe in the Jesus that just passes by. You know why? Because it's a lot easier to worship a Jesus who passes by. A Jesus who passes by might overlook your sin. A Jesus who passes by might not notice the thing that brings you shame. Therefore, maybe you think you'll feel less shame. That's not really how it works. But it is how people think. A Jesus that's just going to pass by leaves us with plenty of room for excuses when a miracle doesn't happen that we really thought would happen. A Jesus who passes by leaves us all sorts of room to do or assume whatever it is we want. I just got to tell you today that that is not the Jesus of the Bible. That is not the Jesus of North American religion. Because the Jesus of Scripture, Jesus Christ, the true Son of God, Jesus Christ, who the book of John says is with God and was God in the beginning as the Word became flesh, all of those books of the Bible agree that Jesus will not pass by a home that invites him in. He just doesn't do it. Well, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't know what you've done. Well, what if Jesus knows what I've done? Jesus does know what you've done. Duh. Well, well, what? Well, well, I have reasons. I know you have reasons. They're just not good reasons. Yeah, but, yeah, I know about all your yeah buts. I have some of those too. Don't let this be lost in you this morning, church. That Jesus does not walk by the home of the willing. In fact, he makes room. He makes room in his schedule to stay. I don't know what else resurrected Jesus had to do that day. I don't know if he had an itinerary. I don't know that it would matter, being in a glorified body, no longer bound probably by space and time, since those things are subject to him through creation, which he is responsible for. I don't know what his itinerary was, but what I do know is that he stopped, and he went in. And because he came in at their invitation, they realized that they were speaking with Jesus. And that, my friends, brought their hearts to life. Did our hearts not burn within us as we walked upon that road? Some of you this morning might be sitting here, and your hearts haven't burned for a long time. i got to tell you, it's pretty easy. Be in the presence of Jesus. Like, earnestly be in the presence of Jesus. And open up your heart to hear what he has to say. Your heart will begin to burn too. You've got to come to his table. Or you've got to invite him to your table. And it doesn't matter if you think your table is ready, your table is good enough. It does not matter because he stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks. And says, If anybody hears me, if anybody will open that door, I will come in and we will dine together. And what I know from the book of Luke is that if you begin to dine with Jesus, you will know who Jesus is. The story continues in verse 36 while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit, a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything to eat? Here Jesus goes again. Having trouble believing in me, says Jesus, do you have anything to eat? Do you have any bread? Do you have any fish? Now the wise and scholarly among you are going to realize something. Wait, there was something else that Jesus did that has something to do with bread and fish to prove who he was was the miraculous feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children with two little fishes and five loaves of bread. If you went to Sunday school, you know the song. Guys, it's not an accident, just so you know, that Jesus once again is revealing himself to people in the breaking of bread and in the breaking and eating of fish because when he did the miracle and fed the 5,000, what he was emphatically making a statement about was his ability to be provision for anyone who put their faith in him. And it's not an accident that he chose, you know what, I'm going to sit down with these two guys and we're going to have bread together. And for my next amazing miracle, feat slash a miracle is a miracle, for the next amazing thing Jesus is about to do, I'm going to, I'm going to have fish. Because... I'm still the same Jesus that can provide for all your needs, whether you be five or 5,000. Do you have any fish? It says that they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. Yes, to prove that he wasn't a ghost. (laughs) That wasn't the first time they thought Jesus was a ghost. Now he said to them, these are my words as I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You know there are thousands of prophecies. Thousands of prophecies in scripture. And Jesus fulfilled every one of them. That is miraculous. And it is also evidence. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Once again, hear me, church. What has happened? He has come in. It's been a surprise, but he's come in. He has now eaten with them. Now get ready. What happens next? Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Because fellowship with Jesus brings understanding. Understanding. It brings awareness it brings it brings the ability the faith to accept and understand what the bible is saying about him he said to them thus it is written that the christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that the repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from jerusalem you are witnesses of these things and behold i am sending forth the promise of my father upon you but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So church, what we see when Jesus appears in Jerusalem after he appeared on the road to Emmaus and then disappeared from the home, he now reappears in Jerusalem to bring the message that when we spend time together, I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. And then you're going to understand me. He instructs them to stay in the city. Why did Jesus do that? (laughs) Because fellowship is important. Fellowship is that important. We do church for, what, two hours on the long Sundays? I'm only 26 minutes into a message so far. By, by my traditional rights, I have another 34 minutes easily. <laughs> Listen. He wanted them to stay together and wait for the Holy Spirit because fellowship's important. I mean, today, if you know... Not that I'm Jesus, but if I was going to say, guys, like, hey, God's going to do something amazing tonight. What you all would do, 98% of you, you would leave this place as quickly as you could. You'd hurry away to go do the things, and most of you would probably come back. Because God was going to do something amazing tonight. Jesus doesn't even give them that option. Stay here until what the Father has promised comes. And Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit that would fall upon them on the day of Pentecost. Amazing. I want you to understand this morning, guys, that you cannot replace time in Jesus' presence with anything else. You cannot replace it with anything else. You can try reading books. You can try listening to worship music. But if you are not entering and moving into and being in the presence of Jesus, your spiritual life will always be cold. (laughs) Because it's the time with Him that makes your heart burn. It's the time in His presence. It's the time of wonder in hearing what He has to say to listening to the testimony of others, to building faith, to borrowing faith, to sharing faith. All happening in the wonderful structure of fellowship. Breaking bread. Having some broiled fish. There's one more thing I want to address today. The worship team can come back. There's a question that kind of has an answer that everybody knows. But I want to suggest this morning that maybe we have the answer a little bit wrong in our heads. Here's the question. What is it that put Jesus on the cross? cross? I was working with some young adult guys on some singing. We were singing an old hymn. And the line of the hymn says, It was my sin that held him there. Now, if I asked you to close your eyes and bow your heads and took a poll of our congregation this morning, kind of curious, but I think I could predict the results. That many of us would either say it was his love that held him there, or it was our sin that held him there, or it was the will of God that held him there. I just need to share this with you because I think it's a point worth making as we consider resurrection today. What is it that kept Jesus on the cross? The answer is Jesus. Jesus. put Jesus on the cross. Well, pastor that doesn't sound right it was the Jews or the Romans or political powers or yeah all of those things were a part of the, part of the whole scene But here's the evidence John chapter 10 verse 17 and 18 for this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again no one has taken it away from me but I lay it down on my own initiative I have authority to lay it down and to have authority to take it up again, this command I received from my Father. What put Jesus on the cross? It's not a what, it's a who. And the answer is, Jesus did. My friends, this is important. Because if Jesus can lay his life down and take it back up, He also has authority then to take up your life. He also then has authority to take up your life. Your heart can come alive on the authority of His word because He has the authority both to lay down and take up life. (laughs) Some of you are going to realize tomorrow or later today how valuable that is to your faith. His own initiative, his own will, his own initiation, his own plan, his own authority. Yes, our sin created the need for a Savior. The absence of perfection created a need for God's redemption in our lives. It brought death into the world in the day man sin no doubt about it death came into the world but in the moment that Jesus laid his life down and took it up again eternal life came back on the table for you and I now hear me there is only one way there is only one way that a human being can experience the fullness of life In this world and the fullness of life in the eternal to come and that is simply to put your faith your hope your belief your trust your future in Jesus and Jesus alone the Bible very clearly states that there is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved and that name is Jesus There is only one Lamb of God who was a perfect sacrifice for your sin and mine who went to the cross, who willingly laid down His life so He could take it back up again on the third day, thereby paying for your sin and mine and holding for Himself the keys to sin and death. Jesus. There is only one Whoever stood out of the waters of baptism where the Father opened the heavens to say, this is my one and only Son and I am so pleased with His perfection. He's the only one the Bible makes the claim is worthy to open the scroll. He's the only one whose blood is pure enough to redeem mankind. He's the only one whose name carries the authority to erase past and to speak life into futures. It's the name of Jesus. And wherever you're at this morning, my prayer for you is that your heart would come alive to the powerful name of Jesus. My friend, I don't care if you are churched or unchurched, if you have a relationship with God, if you don't have a relationship with God. We all come by the same way by the same truth, by the same life into God's kingdom, into relationship with the one who created us. How does one put their faith in Jesus? Well, in the simplest terms, I'm going to say it to you the way we've always said it to our kids. What you need to do is make Jesus your boss. I know that's profound. It's actually not profound at all. You need to make Jesus your boss. That means submitting your will to Him. Not so He will destroy you, but so that you will actually know what abundant life is. Because Jesus promised that when I come, I come so that you will have life and have it most abundantly. When we make Jesus our boss, we're submitting our will. Here's the second part to having a relationship with Jesus is we gotta, we got to turn from sin. Well, how do you define sin, Pastor Trav? I define sin by what the Bible defines sin as. That's it. I don't have to think hard about it. I don't have to search long and hard for it. I define sin by what the Bible says it is. You can start with Ten Commandments. By the way, you and I have each broken every single one of them. If not in the flesh, certainly in our hearts. And by the way, God's not looking on the outside of you anyways. He's always been looking at your heart. God is not nearly as concerned with redeeming the outside of the man as he is with the inside of a man. Because while man looks on the outside, God is looking on the heart. So we need to make Jesus our boss and we need to turn from sin. That's it. Once you come to that point, now you get to recline at his table and find out what it's like for your heart to burn within you because you begin to realize everything that he said is true. That every promise he makes will come to pass. That every prophetic word that was ever spoken about him has come to pass or eminently will come to pass. We're going to sing one last song because that's what we always do here at Generations Church. And we don't do that to manipulate your emotions at all, but just to give you a moment to consider and ask this very important question. And that question should sound something like this, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Because lots of people aren't taking any time other than this time to ask it. So your question, church, is Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? And I want to tell you something. He'll speak to you if you're listening. He'll talk to you. He'll speak to your heart. He'll speak to your mind. Shoot, sometimes He even speaks right into your ears audibly. Sometimes. He'll speak to you. So in faith this morning, I want to invite you to ask that question. Expecting Him to say something to you. And maybe you need to hear how much he loves you today. Maybe you need to hear the words, you are forgiven, son. Guys, it all comes together when you take time at this table to break bread and realize who he is. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.